Issues, though, great, great song that perfectly capsulizes uh, what we're going to be talking about today. And I think um, I realized the problem with, with so many marriages, relationships in general. I know there's a lot of different levels that you're at. Some are past tense marriages you have. Some are you're in the middle of, you're hoping for, whatever it is. Uh, you need this. I, was, I used to do a lot of comedy clubs in the late 90s, and I remember a distinct scene. I was standing somewhere, and I was just chatting it up with one of the other comedians and just killing time. And I happened to mention, I said, I'm, yeah, I've been married actually 17 years. And he goes, wait, what? I said, yeah, 17 years. He goes, shut up. He goes, so, wait, all in succession? Yes, all to the same woman. No way. Hey, Jim. And he calls his friend. Hey, Jim, he's been married 17 years. What? The guy said from across the room. And I realized, wow, at that point, this was 17 years. I, I was a circus act in this demographic. You, know, you could sell tickets to me. Come see the man who's been married to the same woman for 17 years. It's that amazing in 1998 to the people of this demographic that I was in. But then the next thing he said was what caught my ear, and I realized, ah, there's the rub. And he said, yeah, sometimes it just works out. And I said, Whoa, slow down there, little fella. <laughs> it never just works out. But if you think that somewhere out there is a relationship where it'll just work out, if you really believe that somewhere on the planet Earth is this effortless person who you can just, oh, wow, I can just be myself and it won't matter and they will just delight in everything I do. Uh, wow, that's who I'm holding out for. You are doomed to bounce from bad relationship to bad relationship if you are expecting that level of perfection. Uh, her, dumb joke, I'm giving you, warned you, you've been warned, dumb joke. Um, this takes place in the Garden of Eden. It's just Adam at this point, and God comes to him and goes, Adam, you're going to like this. I have this breathtakingly beautiful creature. She's curvaceous. She is gorgeous. And she will ever remain so, and she will just worship every word that comes out of your mouth. Every, every joke you make, she will laugh. She will think you're wonderfully brilliant, and she will want to do anything you want to do anytime you want to do it. Adam says, that sounds amazing. Well, is it going to cost me some? Well, yeah. It's going to cost you an arm and a leg. And Adam thinks about it and goes, what can I get for a rib? Boom, boom. So, I don't do comedy clubs anymore, if that's any comfort to you. Okay, it was jokes like that that killed my career. No, it was is dumb. But it gets the point across, and that is the fact that um, all the songs we hear on the radio, every uh, chick flick, or I was trying to think of the more politically correct term, uh, rom-com, and... Uh, you see, every cover of every romance novel portrays this perfection thing. It's like, I just haven't... I keep getting stuck with these contentious dwarfs instead of the wonderful... No, no offense if you're a little person. But anyway. Um, so, let's look at what the scriptures say, shall we? Oh, do let's. Uh, Paul, in 1 Corinthians, what's, what's ironic is that Paul's actually saying, if you can do it, if you have the wherewithal to be single, that would work well in this day and age for your ministry. But in the process, he describes something very profound about marriage. He said, I would like you to be free from concern, if you can be single. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But 
married man, not so, is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. That is what he must do as a married man. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman, different, concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I hope I was uh, upfront enough about my emphasis there. Um, and by the way, I'm deathly afraid of tumbling to my death, just so you know. So my motor skills. I took my shoes off. Oh, okay. Well, anyway. So, um, but here's the thing. Paul inadvertently tells us there is a process that you must submit to. He does not describe it as a one-time thing, like in your first month of marriage this happens. He describes it as an ongoing, and that's more obvious in the Greek that it's an ongoing process. You must be in the process. Now, if you are a married person, if you were a married person, and you were thinking there was some end zone where you, I've got it, I've reached it, boom, we've hit the place where we've worked out all the kinks, and we don't have to do this anymore. I've been married 37 years, so if I was a circus act at 17, imagine you can sell tickets to us now. 37 years, still, still, I live in the shadows of Dwayne, who's up to 44. I just, right. but anyway, this is what I'm telling you. There is no end zone where you spike the ball. There is no time where you've achieved it. It is a constant process is what this is. And as long as you're expecting that, everything's going to be okay. But that's the problem is people don't expect it. Um, what we are saying in, in our wedding vows and uh, what we're trying to emphasize today is covenant. Yes, that's what we're trying to emphasize. Marriage covenant is our key word today. Marriage covenant. And I think we don't quite understand that. And I am a frustrated marriage officiator who has officiated many marriages where I thought I made it clear what you were vowing to on this day. And I, I'm pretty sure most people did not pick up on this message. So I want to make sure this is clear to you what exactly we're uh, pledging. Song of Solomon 8.6, which is just riddled with all sorts of smarmy, <laughs> uh, lovey-dovey things. Um, Song of Solomon has this verse, it's toward the end of the book, too. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. There's some romantic sentiment, huh? It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. The kind of love that I am pledging, says the writer here in Song of Solomon, it is a seal. Now, we live in a day and age where seals don't mean much to us, but it was something that a royal personage would put on something and seal it in wax, and you did not dare break it under pain of death. And this is what he's saying. This is the pledge there. This is closer to what I think uh, marriage should be regarded as. You're getting a tattoo, okay? Think of it that way. You are locking this down. What is it you are locking down? What is this covenant you are making? Because it's as strong as death. This is getting really close to the beautiful utterances my brother said to his lovely newlywed uh, in their first year of marriage. She was starting to have doubts about whether she wanted to put all the work into it of being married to a Jones. Quiet. And, um, and so he said, look, what we did on our wedding day is essentially, it's like getting your leg cut off surgically. I'm going to try to give you as exact a quote. <laughs> he said, you may later think you'd rather have that leg back but it's gone. 
This is a final thing. It was getting close to the wording of Song of Solomon. And for some bizarre reason, she did not stick around to hear any more of his poetry. As lovely as that was, that's a Hallmark card right there, you know. Loving you is like having my legs sawed off. Um, but that's how finally, you are locking down, you are making a covenant to God. I realize why it is deceiving on the wedding day. People forget they are pledging to God. I have this dream wedding ceremony that one of these days I'm going to unleash and never be asked to do weddings again. That'll really get this across. Because you're looking at each, gazing into each other's eyes, holding each other's hands as you say this stuff. And I realize part of it is to each other, but mainly you are pledging this to God. God, I will continue to love this person. And I think everyone, uh, marriages I've done recently, uh, the, the idea is I, we want to announce, we want to spend thousands of dollars with the beautiful little frou-frous and everything and announce this is, we feel really strongly about each other. That's not what that ceremony is. You are saying, when it gets hard, I will continue. When it gets hard, when it gets difficult. Because it's really hard to tell these two lovebirds with the little cartoon hearts floating off them as you talk to them that there's ever going to, well, we'll never. I mean, I, I could see it getting hard like, you know, I'll spill something and she'll say, oh, you rascal, you. Then we'll both laugh and hug. I, that's the kind of hardness we'll run into. Sucker. Because <laughs> that's not, it's going to be, the reason you are making this oath, and this sounds terribly unrealistic, uh, not unrealistic, this sounds terribly realistic, emphasize that, but this sounds terribly unromantic is what this sounds like. Um, but the reason you are making an oath is because this is going to get difficult. That process, how to please my husband, how to please my wife. You could marry the woman next door to you who has the, the grace and goodness of Mother Teresa and the, the exterior of uh, Beyonce, and you are still, by virtue of the fact that you are two carbon-based life forms that draw breath, you are still going to have edges and annoyances with each other, and that's just the way it goes. Do not expect anything less than that. Um, I, I didn't think I'd sink to this level, but I, I think actually a good wedding vow could be found in the words of, okay, get ready to lose respect for me in three, two, one. John Legend's overplayed song, All of Me, <laughs> in which, but, but I think it's actually a beautiful thing. All of me loves all of you. Now, I don't know how much John himself even realized what he was saying, but all of me loves all of you, all your curves and all your edges. The curves being the parts I like, the edges being the parts I got to adjust to. All your perfect imperfections. And that's what you were saying. And my fear is, and, and my observation is, that uh, of marriages I've seen up close that failed, um, I believe, yeah, they're, hey, how about that? It's as if I planned that. Um, I think many a marriage dies of embarrassment. The ones I've seen where I've seen up close, uh, too many marriages die of embarrassment. Let me explain this. The perfect, the perfect relationship, and the only one that ever was a perfect relationship was Adam and Eve pre-fall, before they sinned, and this beautiful capsulization. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, Beavis and Butthead are still laughing at the first part. <laughs> They were naked. <laughs> okay, but get the second part. They felt no shame. It's like, I see all the parts of you that you've been trying to hide, and it's cool by me. Yeah, it's great, because, you know, me too, metaphorically speaking. But what happens instead is you, you get married, and suddenly it's not enough that, okay, I realize you have some things about you 
that I, take me getting used to. And that part you may be expecting. But what throws you for a loop is to realize that you have annoyances and you have things about you. Oh, man, this is embarrassing to me. And the more, the longer you live with this person, the more they realize all your edges and all your imperfections. And they're trying to work through it. And you see their frustration. You know, I feel like I'm just a pain in the butt to this person. Wow. And then you walk outside and everyone else on the planet Earth who's never lived with you thinks, might think you're amazing. That lady at work with the tight skirts thinks, oh, you're wonderful. You're so smart. See this? See? She thinks I'm cool. I go back home and my wife notices all these things about me. The people who don't live with me think I'm awesome. And the one who lives with me keeps noticing things and it's embarrassment. And honestly, that's what it is. Like, you know what? I'm tired. This is too much work. This is too much work. You're noticing things about me. You seem eternally dissatisfied with me and I seem eternally dissatisfied with you. You know what? I think there's an effortless one out there. I'm going to ditch you and go for Miss Effortless or Mr. Effortless out there. And I have some harsh disturbing, jarring news for you. There is no Miss Effortless. There is no Mr. Effortless. You will have to adjust. You will have to go through that process that Paul describes of, and First Peter, by the way. I also wanted to throw in a First Peter here. Um, man, you guys are quick. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good. Okay, apparently the wrong verse from First Peter. Um, <laughs> but that's a good thought too. No extra cost to you. That's true. All right. Anyway, First Peter uh, says the same kind of thing about the adjustment. Husbands, you have, to, you have to live in understanding of your wife, is actually what he says. And wives, you have to live in understanding. That takes time. That takes adjustment. And if you're not expecting it, you'll be thrown off. What's happening? What's the matter here? If both people have made the vow to God, the covenant vow to God, I will hang on with you. God, I'm going to hang on with her even through thick and thin. And I know it seems to be part of the vows in sickness and in health. And you picture just this with a slight fever and you got the wet, wet washcloth. And you think, yeah, I could do that. Through sickness and in health. Through richer for poor. Poor, I think, we might not afford a third car. I can live with that. Yeah, sure. But I want to add in my ideal service, through boring, through exciting. Because I've known some wives who have scampered off. Yeah, I just wasn't into it. Through boring, through exciting, through tense. And through harmonious, God, I, I'm gonna, I promise to keep going. I will keep going in an act of stamina because I love you. If both parties are pledging to God, this will work. If both parties are saying to God, I will press through, you will get through. There is, and I want to say this slowly because this is a, one of the key points. This other stuff I've been saying is drivel. This is one of the key points, okay? This, has, this is made of platinum, this one. Okay, and here it is. There is a level of love that can only be enjoyed on the other side of conflict. This is not a mistake. You didn't buy a defective model. There will be conflict, but there is a depth of love that can only be enjoyed on the other side of conflict. And what I see with so many people is they don't make it through. Okay, I'm in the middle of this conflict thing. And it's, it's just getting worse. We have a whole week where we didn't like each other. We had a whole month. We maybe had a whole year where we didn't like each other. Yeah, keep going. As Winston Churchill said, when you find yourself walking through hell, keep walking. Now, that's one step too far. I'm not comparing marriage to hell. Some of you might have experiences like that. But 
You just, yeah, you get through it. That's what you pledged. You were not announcing to the world that I feel wonderful about this person. You were pledging something to God. And before my lovely bride comes up, let me just do a quick scan and make sure there was anything else I didn't get to say. The problem is, the problem is we live in human bodies and therein lies the problem. As much and as glorious as your intentions are, you live in one of these human bodies, which are defective. God, it's as if, it's as if he was saying, how hard could this be? I'm going to test out one of these human bodies. He wasn't saying that because he already knew. But God squeezed into a human body and test drove it for about 33 years. And maybe you didn't notice this, but on the night before his body was no more and expired, Jesus gave his, his rating. This was his assessment, his review of the human body. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, the spirit is willing but the flesh, oh, the flesh is weak. These humans are trapped in these human bodies. They want to do the right thing. They want the best, but these bodies get tired and they get cranky and they lash out and say hurtful things. These bodies get afraid and when they get afraid, they get angry and they, they lash out. These bodies get defensive. They get protective it's human body we're trapped in with these miserable mood swings that just make it impossible for anyone to have a perfect relationship. And you're ever tweaking, ever tweaking. But it does pick up. After a while, like, okay, I was going to say that thing that I know really ticks you off. Okay, I'll, I'm not going to say that phrase that really ticks you off because I remember it did not go well, did not end well for me or anyone when I did that. So I'm learning. We're learning. It's a very slow learning process in your frail human body with your very thick, dense human skull. It's a process. Now, if I've just completely soured on any of you of ever entering into a marriage relationship, here's my lovely wife to take us from there with lots of time left. Hey, so um, back in 2011, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, you know, I knew that I was, I was preparing myself for what that meant uh, as far as, okay, I'm going to lose my hair. You, things like this are going to happen. This is going to be the time when God teaches me about not being obsessed with outward appearance. Okay, it's, I'm ready. Here we go. And the first thing that God said to me as I was listening was, it's time for you to give your husband back the authority that you took from him. And all I could say was, you're right. You're right. Now, why, wives, do we sometimes want to take that authority from our husbands? Tim, when we first got married, used to, call, used to say to me, Lisa, you're, you're just like Ford. You always have a better idea. That was not a compliment. And, um, you know, we think we have a better idea. And we think that we can control the situation. And so when God said that to me, I was like, you're right, you're right. Not that my husband hadn't been a great husband and not that he hadn't uh, been in charge, but in little ways I had tried to take that authority from him. And in a lot of times I was successful and God was like, you know, this is not saying that your marriage before this has been terrible. What I'm saying is right now is the time for you to change that. 
And so I, I started that journey in 2011, and here we are in 2018, and I can tell you it has been a constant succession of two steps forward, three steps back. So if you came here today thinking you were going to get the expert view on everything, what you're going to get is the struggle. The struggle is real and the struggle is necessary. That's where we get where we're going. And Tim and I have been married 37 years and there have been some hard, hard things in those 37 years. I mean, cancer being one of them. But it was those hard things, the times when you just want to give up, and maybe not cancer, but you want to give up when you're just fighting and scrapping with each other and you feel like you're so much better than that person. You want to give up. You want to give up when your kids are not doing what you thought they would do. You want to give up so many times, and uh, it's a covenant. It's not a contract that you walk away from and there's a fee to be paid, and then you just move on. It's a covenant. And I know that in this day and age, marriage is getting very loosey-goosey in its definition. And that's okay for the world. We're not here to judge the world. But God made marriage for two believers to love each other and to commit to loving to each other and to be each other's friends and to stay with each other. And so we're not just in a contract where we can just decide, you know what, I'll, t I'll cut my losses. I'll take my losses and I'll move on. This is a holy thing. And if you are a believer and you are married to a believer, then you guys need to do the work. I always say every lasting marriage will take everlasting work. But sometimes I think that I have gotten carried away in the work of it. And I have been like, Tim, see, you did that. And when you do that, that makes me feel like this. And how much fun is that to be around? I think sometimes the everlasting work looks a lot more like play. But we think it's our job to point out all the wrong stuff. And recently, God has had a really funny way of um, dealing me, with me on that. Well, let me just go back to 2011 when I first started uh, listening to God on, okay, okay. And uh, one thing he told me was, you need to stop mothering your husband. You need to stop mothering him. And um, I was like, okay, okay. So I started looking for any way that I was like, oh, don't do that. Oh, be careful. Oh, you know, whatever trying to control him. And um, like I said, I had cancer. And one of my sons, when, when you have cancer and you, you go through chemo, you have this time that you are more susceptible to germs. And um, one of my sons put a note in the refrigerator, in the freezer, that just reminded people to wash their hands before they get the ice out because I could get really sick. Um, you know, mom could get really sick. So he put a note in there that said, Please remember to wash your hands. Well, one morning, I was feeling nauseous and everything from the chemo, and uh, I was telling Tim about it. And by the way, Tim was amazing through the entire uh, chemo. I mean, he was just really there by my side. This is like one little slice of not so amazing, but I was not so amazing either. Uh, and so he goes to get me uh, some ginger ale and he opens the door and there's that sign, please remember to wash your hands. And he digs in there with his first morning hands. I don't know where those hands have been. And I'm just looking at him 
And I'm thinking, I'm not supposed to mother this man. I know that. But, and so I, I think that I'm saying I'm, I'm much muted. You know, I'm not really mothering him. And I say, oh, um, I kind of thought that people would read that sign and then wash their hands before they get the ice. So he's all frustrated because, you know, I'm pointing out one of his flaws. Who likes to hear that? And so he just takes the ice, he, you know, just, you know, dumps it out and goes and gets some more with a cup and gives it to me. And by now, I'm kind of ticked off. And I'm like, you know, I know I'm not supposed to mother him, but if he wouldn't act like a child, I wouldn't need to mother him. And uh, so he gives me my ginger ale and I'm just thinking... I'm going to just go and have my God time, and me and God are going to have this sweet, you know, communion, and Tim can just go to work. I just, just go, just go. So he leaves, and I go in to have my God time, and I open my Bible up to the exact spot that I had left off the day before. And it says, um, and Jesus and his disciples went to Jerusalem, and his disciples did not wash their hands. And this offended the Pharisees. <laughs> I did not find my solace with the Lord. The Lord was saying to me, did I tell you not to mother your husband? Is that what I told you? And what did you do? I don't care what he did. What did you do? I think so many times in relationship, we can so easily make a laundry list of what our spouse needs to do or change. And what God started telling me, a lot of times he just told me to keep my big mouth shut. He told me that a lot. Uh, but a lot of times what he told me was, don't concern yourself with your husband's lessons. Those are his lessons. You let him learn his lessons, you learn your lessons. And I found out that there were a lot of lessons I needed to learn. You know, a lot of times women, I'm just saying, I'll just tell you how it was for me. We can look at our husbands and we can think that we are the more noble creatures. You know, we can think that we are doing things better and if they would just be a little bit more like us and we try to spend our lives making them more like us. And that is not what God intended. Male and female created he them so that we could together make that complete picture of God. And yes, this is the bad news. By the way, our marriages are supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. If we wonder why the world does not take marriage as seriously and as sacredly as we do, it is because when they look at our marriages, they don't see anything different. And I know I'm speaking with a broad brush, but let me just include myself. They don't see anything different. What we need to remind ourselves of is the Word of God and what it admonishes us to do. One of my favorites for this is, first of all, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. My struggle isn't with this man. My struggle is against the enemy who wants no one to see Christ and the church in our relationship. So my struggle is not with this man. And, and sometimes my struggle isn't even with the devil, you know, we want to blame him. Sometimes my struggle is just with my own selfishness. And as 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says, I believe, um, we do not wage war the way the world wages war. 
So your spouse says something to you and you just want to come right back at them with something that's just sharper? We do not wage war the way the world wages war. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And everyone here needs this last part. And we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That verse in the Bible that says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Sometimes, I, I bet I could spend the day with you guys and you would say, I see a lot of Christ in her. As long as nothing goes wrong, you know. But when we get squeezed, that's when the test of who is really in us comes out. When I get squeezed, is it Christ that comes out or is it Lisa that comes out? Because Lisa in me, Lisa outside of me, is not the hope of glory. Christ in me is the hope of glory. And I just asked God one day, it's like, how do I get more of Christ in me so that when I get squeezed, it's him that comes out. And who, is, who am I going to be squeezed around? It's my husband because that's who I'm with all the time. Like I said, spending time with you guys, we can show each other our best sides even when we're not trying to be fake. It's just that everything's going pretty good. I got my coffee. I got my donut. I can, uh, I, I like people. But in my marriage is where the bills are stacking up. And the dishes are stacking up. And we're both busy and who's going to do them? And I did them last time and my rights, my rights, my rights, my rights. But the difference between a marriage among Christians and a marriage among people who do not know the Lord is that we have both said that we are going to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And when you take up your cross... In fact, when you just actually picture Jesus taking up his cross or anyone back in that day and age literally taking up their cross, from the minute they took that cross on and started walking up that hill, all their rights were lost. People could yell at them. People could spit on them. People could say anything they wanted to them. You're just a man with a cross. So when we find ourselves in our marriages just defending our rights, defending our rights, defending our rights, that is not Christ in us. And so I said to God, how do I get more Christ in me? Because I spend time with you every morning. I can spend an hour with you in the morning and I can still come downstairs and Lisa comes out of me. I just don't understand. I know you're not going to zap me with it. So that's out of the question. And I know it's not just me trying harder, try harder, try harder, because we all know the law. We can't live up to it. So what is it, Lord? And about an hour later, when I was doing something else, I just heard God's Spirit say to my spirit, surrender. It's surrender. And it's not even surrender to your spouse, okay, I'll pretend like you're right when I'm not. No, it's surrender to the Lord and trust him for what he can do when you have to look wrong. And P.S., sometimes you are wrong. God has used a very interesting way of pointing out to me all my faults lately. And it has done more for our marriage than any time I ever looked at his faults. I have a friend, and she is apparently a lot like me, but not in my friendships, just with 
like me in my relationship with Tim, like I don't have disputes with my friends. I don't have arguments with my friends. My friendships are smooth sailing. And then God said, oh, let me introduce someone to you who is going to be like you are to Tim. He didn't say that. I was blindsided. So um, the first the first thing that happened was she and I were running to the grocery store together and uh, I said, oh, I need to run in and get something. And so she goes, oh, would you grab my water? It's on the table. I'm like, sure, sure. So I run in, I get whatever I'm going to get. I get back in the car. We're halfway to the grocery store. And she says, did you remember to grab my water? And I said, oh, I forgot. She's driving. She says, I'm like, snap out of it, woman. We're a block from the house. We can turn around, get your water, or we can get you some water at Kroger. I mean, I, I seriously said that. And I realized in that moment, oh my goodness, all these years, that's what I've done to Tim. Like, we're on a trip, and he, this one's real, you'll remember this. And he forgot, I asked him to grab my magazines. I was going to look at these magazines on the trip. And uh, we're halfway wherever we're going. And I say, so where'd you put those magazines? Oh, I forgot. Well, that's not good enough for me. I want you to go, oh, I'm so sorry. I feel terrible. I forgot your magazines. But here's me overplaying my card. I really wanted those magazines. Gosh, really wish I had those magazines right about now. Kind of bored didn't have a phone back then. And what's his response? Snap out of it. Yeah, that should have been his response. Because ladies, I'm telling you, if you're like me, I played the disappointment card too early and too often. And here's my luck right now. I'm left holding the card. I don't have any disappointment cards left. All I've got left is enthusiasm. I haven't used many of those. So I don't care what he comes home with. What I need to do is say, that's all right. That's okay. We're going to do it anyway. I'm working on that. I don't think Tim's noticed that I'm working on that. <laughs> I said, it's two steps forward, three steps back. But um, I just think it's so sweet the way that God is showing me in this other friendship uh, that another time she sent me to the store for something and I'm looking for pepperoni. I've found five different kinds, but not the kind she wants. And I say, well, I've got this, 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 and this, but they don't have this Deerfield whatever. And she's like, oh, well, did you look on that aisle? Yeah. Well, can you look over in this section? Yeah. I go over there. Well, one more section. Well, ask somebody. And I said, I'm going to change her name. I said, Julie, uh, you are reminding me of myself with Tim, and when I get off this phone right now, I'm going to call him and apologize for every time I sent that man on a wild goose chase around the Kroger and didn't just say, okay, we'll just get whatever pepperoni you want then. God is showing me little by little that I'm not so perfect. I can, I'll have a lifetime working out my own things to... Uh, to improve on, my own ways of not controlling things. And uh, what I don't want us to miss is praying for our spouse. See, we usually nag them or we usually nicely pick at them thinking this is not nagging, I'm just nicely picking. But do we pray for them? I'm a praying woman. 
I pray for my kids a lot. But how often do I really pray for my husband? How often do I pray for him to be the man that God has intended him to be? Not the man that I think he should be. There is a reason that marriage lasts for life. It's meant to last for life. It's going to take that long for us to get it right. It's going to take that long for us to realize, oh my goodness, I've been bringing so much crud to this relationship. I'm going to work on myself and let the Lord work on my spouse. And God can do amazing things with that. That's what I would just um, really encourage you to do. Sometimes we think that we've already learned our lessons. We say, oh, if I could just go back, I would do it all differently. And, uh, and then, you know, realistically, I told myself one day, oh, yeah, well, I would just make different mistakes. No, I would make the same mistakes because in subtle ways, I'm still making them now. God brought this home to us recently when my daughter uh, had to move back home and then found out she was pregnant and then had her baby and now they live with us. They've been living with us for a couple, well, he's only 16 months. So they've been living with us through her pregnancy and him for 16 months. And uh, things that I thought that, oh, we grew out of that. The Lord is showing me, you know, he's given me a chance to go back and do things differently. And I'm in this do-over, this twilight zone do-over, and I see myself controlling once again. You know, there's a baby involved, so I have to be sure I tell him to be careful. I have to tell him that he needs to do this. I can't let him do that. No, he is a grown man, and he needs that recklessness, that side of, the, um, the, of God that, that he put in men. My little grandson, Cairo, needs to see that side, and he needs me to be who I was made to be. And when I go all the way back to Genesis, who does it say I need to be but a help to my husband? That does not demean who I am. I can be very important as a help to my husband. But the question is, will I be that help or will I decide that I need to be this more important, this more powerful, this more authoritative, this more in control person? Will I surrender to God and let him bring beauty in our marriage or will I hold on tight and choke it to death? Thank you, Lisa. Some of that stuff was true. Um, close with this story. I, I love German engineering. But there's a uh, old folks home in Dusseldorf, Germany that had the problem that those kind of homes do have with people wandering off. They just somehow an open door and they go wandering off. So they brilliantly put at the edge of the street, they put a bus stop, exactly an exact duplicate of what all the bus stops look like in Germany. And their problem was solved. At the end of every day, someone said, Jim, you want to go down and check the bus stop? And there'll be like four or five of the, the senior citizens down there waiting because they saw a bus stop. Happiness is somewhere else, is their belief. I need to go to that somewhere else. And they go, okay, come on, let's go back to the thing. And they always know where to find their wandering people. And I thought, man, there's a picture of how Satan works. He will make you encourage you to abandon whatever situation you're in because somewhere else 
the lie of somewhere else or someone else is going to be all better for you when in fact uh, God asks us to to live out his principles where we are. So beware the lie of Satan somewhere out there is the effortless person. Um, and we hope we have presented a beautiful picture. My lovely wife, my bride, my favorite person on the planet. Okay. But every human is annoying. Well, I really hate to end on that sentence, but <laughs> so be it. Yeah. Oh, you're supposed to. Oh, anyway. Uh, so let's pray.